have an old friend from college who is a musician. He was living in Brooklyn, in Williamsburg, of course, and he met a girl. They got married by me and moved back to her hometown in Wyoming, where her dad was a, quote, geologist, which in this case is a euphemism for oil man. Mary Beth and I once visited, and he offered to let me drive one of his cars. We came out of the airport with our baby, pulled up to the curb where the car was waiting in the dead of winter, and here was this car, a 1989 Chevy Suburban with a bumper sticker that read, Earth first, we'll drill the rest of the universe later. <laughs> now, I'm not one to look a gift horse in the mouth, but... At the time of this encounter, I had just finished spending a year of my life on a carbon Sabbath, one year without flying or driving, during which I cycled over 11,500 miles to engage Christian communities in dialogue about climate change. As I loaded my family into this audacious gas guzzler, I thought back on that trip, and one very important moment from that trip. I was in New Orleans, already nine months into this adventure. My bike was in serious need of repair. Specifically, I needed to replace the entire rear wheel and hub. That day, after posting an update about the bike's condition, I received an online donation for the amount I needed for the repair. Guess who provided that donation? Tricky, right? But I was not in a position to deny the hospitality. I began the bike trip straight out of seminary, straight out of grad school. And while it may shock those of you who have been through grad school to hear this, I had no money. <laughs> no money. I was entirely dependent upon the generosity of folks I met or folks who donated online just hearing about it. I thought at that moment of the thousands of folks I had met on the trip so far, the children, elderly, families, young professionals, and the glow we shared in our discussion. I thought of the people I had yet to meet. This money had come with no strings attached. It could empower a lot of good. So I logged on to my PayPal account, accepted the donation, and got a new wheel for my bike. Occasionally, Good things come from bad. It is confusing, but it is true. That is part of the truth in today's gospel passage.
let's be honest, this parable is kind of terrible. Right? There is no way to make it meet the values, the morals of common sense. The manager is not a good person. He is bad at his job. He squanders the money he manages. He's so bad at his job that he gets fired. But he does something when he gets fired. He does something that is motivated by self-interest. This, this guy is selfish, right? Like, don't pick it apart. It's absolutely true. But in his act of selfishness, he does something that helps others. To Jesus, that is what matters. Jesus appears to have absolutely no concern for the master's money or money in general. He implies that it is dishonest wealth, that all money is in fact dishonest wealth. To Jesus, money is only good when it is used relationally. Make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth. Money is for building relationships. Don't hear what I am not saying. I'm not saying that relationships should be built on money or that money doesn't ruin relationships. It does. We all know that. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying, what Jesus is saying, is that money is most valuable when it is used for God's kingdom, for helping people, for enabling people, for turning our focus back to God and neighbor. few weeks ago, we talked about how love is God's currency, God's money, as the band Wilco puts it. To understand that, to understand this gospel passage, we need to do some exchange to change our currency. If we care at all about money, if that is our common currency, this parable makes no sense. But if our currency is love of God and neighbor, it gets closer to making sense. If all you care about is that some poor people are relieved of their burdens, not even entirely, but just a little, then the story starts to make some sense. If you're focused on making life better for people with no hope, then even a small victory is a victory. But if all I value is money, then the world is bleak. The poor stay poor, the rich stay rich, or get richer. According to the Federal Reserve Board, the wealthiest 1% of families in the United States possess 40% of all wealth. The bottom 90% of families in the U.S. have less than one quarter of all wealth. When John D. Rockefeller died in 1937, his assets equaled 1.5% of America's total economic output. 
To, con- to have that equivalent uh, share today will require a net worth of about $340 billion, which is four times that of Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos, the richest people in the world. When Rockefeller one time was being interviewed, the reporter asked, how much is enough? Do you remember what he, re- what he replied? Just a little more. Just a little more. That's the effect of valuing money over relationship, over kingdom. If we at any level, last or first, buy into that concern, currency, if we value it, we lose the path to connectivity and abundance. That's, what happening, that's what's happening in this Old Testament passage from Amos. Amos, the book from the Bible, not my son, (laughs) says, Hear this, you that trample on the needy, and bring ruin to the poor of the land, saying, When will the new moon be over so that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath so that we may offer wheat for sale? These folks value money over humans. They want the Sabbath to end so that they can make more money. To translate this to our modern times, think those Black Friday sales that actually start on Thanksgiving now. Forcing people to work on the holiday. Are you serious? I know it makes them money. But at what cost? Make the ephah small and the shekel great and practice deceit with false balances. So says Amos. Hebrew scholar Rolf Jacobson points out that this is marketplace language. Shekel is a measured weight. Ephah measured volume. It was used for wheat which means that the seller gives the buyer less wheat and receives in return a larger amount of silver. Okay? The scales are out of balance. The scales of justice are out of balance. Then and now. It is as true then as it was now. Back then, farmers were supposed to save the, quote, sweepings of the wheat. Did you hear this in the, in the end of the passage? The sweepings of the wheat. They're the part you sweep up after the harvest. You're supposed to leave that for the poor and the alien. The alien. Not the little green folks in Roswell. But the foreigner. The immigrant. The law, the divine code, said to allow food and resources for the immigrant. Today, we debate whether children we capture and put in detention camps should be allowed to sleep through the night. You cannot serve both God and money. You can choose money and always want more. Or you can choose God, choose to serve love, and find that there is always enough. There is always enough. It will never run out. We are part of an eternal currency, the current of love. Come on up. Flowing through and around and within and beyond us all. 
Want a new plant? The love that surprises us. <laughs> always. Always. It is always there trying to tell us something. Amen.